Welcome to Good People, Cool Things, the podcast featuring conversations with entrepreneurs, writers, musicians, and other creatives. I'm your host, Joey Held, and today's guest is Sarah Elkins, author of the book, Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will, and founder of the No More Virtual Summit. Now, if you're anything like me, these Zoom calls are kind of getting a little crazy. A lot of people want to do virtual happy hours, and there's, you know, there's only so much attention and energy we can give. Sarah was feeling the same way and started the No More Virtual Summit as a way to kind of connect with people that she had only known through LinkedIn, through technology, through online. Now we're kind of going in the reverse of it with everyone being at home, but still a lot of great ways to connect with people and share your story, hear their stories, have those small world moments, which are always so fun. Sarah's going to talk about how you can better tell stories. I've done a terrible job of it in this intro, but how you can succinctly and clearly share your story with people to really get them engaged, whether it's an interview, a first date, uh, a walking by on the street while you're both social distancing and wearing masks, all of that, Sarah's got you covered. If you'd like to get in touch with Good People Cool Things, you can do so in a couple different ways. Shoot an email to joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Follow the show on Facebook or Twitter, GPCT Podcast, or go over to the shop. There's lots of great stuff, goodpeoplecoolthings.com slash shop. And while you're browsing, let's kick in with Sarah. We're going up five floors on an elevator, uh, which I've timed the last time I was in an elevator because I was curious, and it, this might have just been a slow elevator, but it was about 23 seconds. So do you have uh, a 23-second pitch about who you are? Gosh, I knew you were going to ask me something like that. Let's see. Um, I, I'm going to start with the whole why and what or why and how, you know, the, the uh, Simon Sinek thing. Um, my why is that I believe that um, relationships are the key to happiness and satisfaction in life. And my what is that I help people be more self-reflective and improve their communication, which then helps them improve their relationships which of course in turn improves your happiness and satisfaction in life. Awesome. Is that 23 seconds? I was not timing it, but it sound it sounded Joey? good. I know. I clicked <laughs> I clicked over to to my notes and I just like totally lost track of everything. But yes, we're going to we'll go and check the tape afterwards, but I'm going to say 23 seconds on the nose. Well done all around. And you've touched on a couple of things that I think are super important, especially uh, how stories can help build relationships. Can you go into that a little bit more? Yeah, absolutely. Um, stories can make or break a relationship. And one of the first things that happened after I started dating my husband was um, I was 25 and he was 37. And I started telling stories about ex-boyfriends. And I don't know what drove me to do that. I, when I look <laughs> back now, I think maybe I was kind of setting a boundary and pushing him away because I was a free date woman and I had been dating him for like a month. So <laughs> it's possible that I was getting a little freaked out, you know, commitment and obligation really make me uncomfortable. So I started telling, you know, almost every story would turn back around to some guy that I dated. And um, at one point we had this big blow up over it. He said, I don't know why you feel compelled to share these stories with me. And I got really defensive about it. <laughs> I was like, what? I'm just sharing stories, you know, and I hadn't really thought about the context of the stories I was sharing. And um, I remember going home to my apartment that night and weeping to my roommate and best friend at the time, Mary, and 
and said, I think it just ruined the best thing that has happened to me in a long time. And I had to really reflect on what he said in terms of what the stories were telling him. Now he, uh, he knew exactly what button to push. He basically said that I was um, kind of creating my identity around the men that I had dated. And that really pushed a button, you know, that hit a nerve because I always think of myself as fiercely independent and to be told that that's how he um, was perceiving me based on those stories. Now this was, a, this is 25 years ago, but um, it still resonates with me when I think back on that time. And I've heard conversations, you know, I'm kind of a fly in the wall and when I'm sitting in restaurants and I've heard conversations where somebody, the man or the woman was going on and on about an ex and I'm watching the interaction just devolve from there. So the stories you tell can make or break a relationship. Oh, that's a, I mean, I'm sure it was terrible at the time, but that's a great way to kind of frame it um, of, of how to you, they just seem like stories, but to your now husband, which I'm glad this has a happy ending and you didn't, you didn't ruin the best <laughs> yeah. thing you had going for you. <laughs> no. uh, that, like he, he was coming at it from a completely different angle. Um, and I think that's, I, I know I certainly get caught up in that. Sometimes I'll tell a story that I think is just wonderful. And that's because I have a tight knit relationship with everyone involved. You know, maybe it's friends from back in high school, maybe it is an ex and it's, like not at all interesting to the person I'm telling it to, or they're just like, wait, who, like, who is this other character you've introduced? Like you haven't mentioned them before. I don't know who that is. And I'm like, Oh, that's right. Like you don't have the context for it. And I'll try and go back. But in my head, I'm just like, there had to have been a better way to lay that out at the beginning. <laughs> yes. There always is. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually what my book is about is um, kind of pinpointing which stories to share and when, and there's a whole section about observing your audience so that you can see if you're shutting them down or causing a problem, friction in the relationship before you dig too deeply. Can we get, I guess it's not a scoop since the book is available, but can we get like a, a sneak peek of, of uh, one of those things to look for? Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's called Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. And it's really about those stories that you share and how they impact your internal messages, how you see yourself and your place in the world, and how your stories impact the relationships with the people around you. And as I mentioned before, your relationships are really going to be the key to your happiness and satisfaction in life. And if you're not paying attention, being self-reflective about how you are being perceived by the people around you, then you kind of lose this opportunity to be intentional about that. So the book, um, it walks through, you know, the beginning is kind of the science behind it and some of the observations I've made about where stories come into play in your life and internal messages. Um, and then it gets into, I actually share a story and then I encourage the reader to think about their own stories um, that might have popped up into their memories while they were reading mine. Um, I found that um, in my years of coaching, storytelling, and public speaking, and communication, that um, the best way to uncover somebody's story and start to understand where 
their internal messages are coming from is to share one of my own stories that demonstrates a little bit of vulnerability, but also makes their memories start coming back to them. It's, it's like unlocking their memories by sharing a brief story of my own. So that's what I do in the book. And there are worksheets and exercises to help people create their own story portfolio. So that then not only can they have some stories ready, like if they're asked for an interview or even a media interview or podcast interview, or if they're actually going for a job or first date, um, they'll have a handful of stories in their back pocket that they can pull out that they've practiced and kind of figured out what the key points were of it. But also they can look back at the, at the worksheets that are in the book and see some of their own patterns, like me and this whole stories about ex-boyfriends or boys that I had dated. They can see the patterns and maybe start to identify where they're getting in their own way. Hmm, I like that. I, I like the, the way you've broken it out and really the uh, unlocking their own stories through yours, I think is a real critical element to it. And I think that's kind of hard to, to be on top of. So kudos. Well done. Thank you. Well, and that's, that's been kind of the magic of doing this for about five years. I um, became certified with Gallup to do StrengthsFinder coaching. And one of the things that I realized as I was going through their training and the pretty rigorous certification process was that um, one of the issues with interviews and um, you know getting to know people is that we have a tendency to want to tell people who we are. So I'm a team player. I'm a great cook. Um, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. Um, and in strengths, it's, well, I'm strategic activator, you know, kind of really weird little narrative that you put out there that most people can't possibly understand. Or if you're saying I'm smart or I'm a good cook, people struggle to believe you unless they've had an experience with you. And it just comes across as either ignorant or arrogant. So what I've put together really in all my coaching is that when I understand somebody's strengths and I understand some of their stories and where their internal messages come from, I can then help them craft a story that demonstrates those strengths. So the, the, I say your strengths are your stories. So instead of saying, I'm a good cook, I might tell you about um, the salmon that I made the other night. Um, I got this beautiful big filet of salmon and cooked it on the grill, but First, I wiped it down with a rice wine vinegar and then very lightly sprinkled some garlic salt and um, put on some butter pads and just a little bit of dill and threw it on the grill just long enough that it got this nice crispy edge and uh, served it with delicious couscous where I toasted the, the couscous grains and added some pine nuts and some sun-dried tomatoes and some olive oil. And now you're not only thinking, wow, maybe she is a good cook. You're thinking, <laughs> wow, I'm really hungry and it uh, must be dinner time. Yeah, I regret uh, recording this around dinner time. So uh, well done there. <laughs> I also had salmon for lunch. So look at us go. But you uh, you did a much better job putting it together than, <laughs> than I did with mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's the thing is I could tell you I'm a good cook, but why would you believe me? And if I can't cook for you, how am I going to prove it? Well, I tell a story and I, I might even add a testimonial, like <laughs> that's my dog shaking. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> what kind of dog? But I might. Oh, he is a gigantic chocolate lab mix. 
he weighs as much as I do. <laughs> he's like just like a hundred and something, hundred ten pounds oh. or so, and he he is um, bored out of his mind because it's been really rainy around mm-hmm. here, which is unusual in Montana. But so he's he he likes to keep me company. I I opened the door of my office to let him out before we started recording, mm-hmm. and he went out. And then I was about to close the door and he put his nose back in because <laughs> he, he didn't want to be left behind. So I to, and now he's doing his circle thing to find a nice place to lay down. But we have wood floors so he can hear the click, click, click. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's really a sweet, sweet boy. I love him. Aww. Yeah, I'm talking about you. You should see the face that he's giving me. Like, <laughs> W-A-L-K? Is it time for a WALK? <laughs> no. Anyway. <laughs> not yet, not yet at least. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think you you kind of touched on this a little bit with having this experience of telling stories and and really kind of con concreting. That's not the right word. Uh, making your message more concrete. There we go. I. Right. Through Clarifying. through a story, uh, and mm-hmm. I think this probably goes back to your background. You have a pretty extensive one from serving cocktails to serving city government, and how do you think that's prepped you for what you're doing now? Oh, you know, every everything that I've done in my life somehow comes back to lessons and application. So um, I loved working in restaurants. The sense of humor was always dirty and raw. And <laughs> I, I always found it fascinating. Um, and I, I got really good at hearing things that were going on at my tables from a distance. So I could actually be taking an order at one table and I would hear and be able to, to distinctly hear a conversation at a table of mine that's four or five tables away I would hear them talking about their next drink orders. And I would finish taking the order from the one table and go get the drink orders for the other table and bring it back. And they'd say, wait a minute, we didn't. And I'm like, yeah, I just knew you were ready. So I, I was tipped really well, even though I wasn't, I wasn't a very good server because I would forget stuff. And I'd get visiting with some table because I love people. I'm super curious and I'd start visiting and I'd forget to do stuff for my other tables. So I wasn't a good server, but I was really friendly and and loving. And so I got really good tips. I got really good at listening to people's conversations and and understanding where I could be of service. And um, it's it's interesting you asked me that question and I really appreciate it because that hasn't been a question that's been asked in any of the interviews I've done about the book. But there is a part of my book that I talk about how I uncovered what I call my what or my how related to your why. So Simon Sinek talks about finding your why, which is basically your your belief, your strongest mission statement for who you are and what you believe in the world. And it is supposed to drive your behavior. And what I found is that people were talking a lot about this about three years ago. And I just got really annoyed. First of all, it, it seemed too fluffy for me. It was too woo-woo. And I couldn't find the application of it. And I'm all about practical, useful application of things. And 
I finally hit this point where I realized part of why I was so annoyed by it was because I, I didn't know mine. And I, I couldn't possibly begin to imagine what one thing I could say about my life and how I live it that could possibly encapsulate all these experiences, as you mentioned, from cocktailing to um, being a public information officer for a, a local government. Um, but what I realized was that once I kind of figured out what my magic is, which after, after a few events, and they're listed in the book, I realized that what I'm really good at is creating a comfortable, safe environment for people to be vulnerable and learn and grow in a very authentic way. And it took these three um, events that I had planned or facilitated or been part of for me to come to that conclusion that it wasn't the events themselves, it wasn't the content of the events, it wasn't even the participants necessarily. The one thing that was in common among those three events was how I created the space for people to speak and be heard. And I looked back at all of those different experiences through my life, and I realized I've been doing that since I was like 10 years old. I remembered hosting a surprise birthday party for my baby sister who was turning five and inviting her friends over um, and not telling her I was going to do this. And I remember planning in a, that event at 10 years old. That's impressive. I'm trying to think what I was planning at 10, and it certainly wasn't that. Maybe I, I was doing like full March Madness brackets in my head. Um, even because you got you to gotta stay entertained outside of March, too, when, it's, when it comes to college basketball. So, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I do want to talk a little more about your book, but I have two quick follow up questions based on your background. One, do you have a go to cocktail? And two, is the show Veep a good portrayal of what government life is like? <laughs> you are so good, Joey. I'm into this. <laughs> um, my go-to cocktail. That's a hard one because my husband is really amazing at mixing cocktails. And he just created this bizarre one last night that actually had that violet in Ooh. it. You know, the, yeah, the violet liqueur with gin. And I think there was, Oh, some sort of bitters in it. And it was so good. And I don't like floral sweet drinks at all. But this one, there is an old uh, candy, a hard candy, a violet candy from back in the 20s. And they still make it. And every once in a while, you can find it at one of those kooky little sweet shops. And that's what this drink tasted like, kind of a sweet and sour, sweet tart kind of thing. It was delicious. But I think my go-to, you're going to be a little disappointed, <laughs> is actually just a particular whiskey or rye on the rocks. <laughs> That's like, or, or a shot of tequila if I happen to be singing with the rock bands that I perform with sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I know, whiskey on the rocks, not even mixed with anything, just a plain old. So yeah, it's kind of disappointing, I suppose. Oh no, I think that's... that's uh totally on brand. I just did a virtual whiskey tasting happy hour and we made quote unquote cocktails where all it was was whiskey. I'll give a shout out to them. My lemon green 
uh, distillery down here in Austin, and they, uh, well, they're actually not in Austin, but Austin area, uh, and they, the the tasting was just a bourbon and a rye, and both of them on the rocks, and just uh, a little uh, zest sort of peel, I guess, from uh, uh-huh. an orange and a grapefruit, respectively. I think I have that right. I think the bourbon had the grapefruit and the rye had the orange peel. And it was just, that would make yeah, sense. like like peel a little uh, a little bit of the skin off and, and just, uh, I'm doing the finger motion, but you can't see me doing it. But like, the, <laughs> you know, the little, the little uh, <laughs> finger, rubbing the fingers together to get all the flavors mm-hmm. out in there and then just throwing the peel right in it. And that was the cocktail and it was delightful. So I'm totally oh, on board. That sounds so nice. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to look up that distillery. <laughs> I wonder if they ship to Montana. <laughs> We have some amazing distilleries here in the state. And um, as a matter of fact, the other night we drank, uh, we uh, some friends brought over a bottle from uh, Willie's Distillery in, in Ennis, which is very famous for fishing along the um, Yellowstone River. And it was the first aged whiskey that was available in the state. Wow. And it was really pretty impressive for, for a brand new bourbon. So... Yeah. Mm. And the other question, Veep, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I have to say, um, I kind of did it backwards in my career. When I lived in Washington, D.C., I got a job uh, implementing PeopleSoft products, which was back in the late 90s, early 2000s. It was a really big um, human resource management product that was supposed to streamline all the processes. And it was a brilliant piece of work. It was brilliant software. But instead of understanding that this was designed to streamline all the common processes that every major organization has, um, each organization would end up customizing things on it, which just totally ruined the whole idea of it. So, but I was implementing that in the DC area. And um, so I was working with federal and world agencies there. I, my, the last job I had there as a con- consultant was working with NSA. So I was driving from Capitol Hill in DC up to the Baltimore Fort Meade exit going on the NSA campus and working with their personnel records. And I can say that now because it's been 21 years since I left, but um, <laughs> <laughs> otherwise I probably would get in trouble for saying that. But I had the, the highest security security clearance a civilian could have. And I was working with NSA. I had worked with World Bank and Federal Reserve and the Department of Education. So I was at federal level. And then when I moved to Montana, I ended up working for the state of Montana for two different agencies. And then when I left the state, I worked for the city, which is the capital of Montana, Helena. And so I kind of went backwards in my government experience, <laughs> starting at the federal <laughs> level and moving down to the local level. And I can tell you, none of it looked like me. <laughs> I kind of wish it did. Scandal, maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's both reassuring and uh, and a little disappointing. But um, <laughs> that's been one of my shows I've been recommending people watch when they ask for new shows because they've gone through everything with uh, with all the social distancing going on, which I think could segue nicely into your no longer virtual conference which i think is a very cool concept but perhaps uh maybe was thwarted a little bit or or will be moving forward um or or is the timing of it perfect that uh 
you can still kind of get back to things next year? That's a good question. Um, <laughs> um, so no longer virtual. It started as um, I really wanted to meet people in person that I had met on LinkedIn. So I had developed this incredible network, really just warm and smart, like wicked smart people that were just sharing incredible content. And I was learning so much from them and they were inspiring me to do my own writing, which I hadn't really done before that. This was probably seven or 10, seven or eight years ago when I started really, really doing it. And at some point I had gotten off the phone with a guy named Karthik Rajan, who was one of those, one of those people that I was just so inspired by. I got off the phone with him and I thought, gosh, if I've learned this much from him, just by interacting with him online, I can't even imagine how the exponential increase in learning if I met face-to-face. -face. And um, as luck would have it, I had a, a scheduled call with a couple of other connections, one Chris Spurvey up in Newfoundland, Canada, and Heather Younger in Denver. We had already scheduled a call just to see if there was something we could collaborate on. And I was still in my full-time job with the city. So, um, I actually, I got on the phone with them. I said, I have this idea. I, I want to get everybody together somewhere. And it can't be just a meetup because no one's going to pay to fly across the country for an evening cocktail. Like that's just not going to happen. Even if we planned a whole day, they're just not going to do it. But if we have a curriculum, a full agenda that makes sense and is covering really relevant topics that we've been talking about on LinkedIn for the last year, maybe they would make it happen. And if I was gonna get something like this organized, would you come and help me? Would you facilitate sessions? And they were over the moon. Absolutely, we'll be there. You couldn't keep us away. And that was in oh, August or September of 2016. And we got together, I limited it to 50 people. and. <laughs> You know, after all these years of planning events, you'd think that I would be a little less optimistic, but I am, <laughs> I am an optimist, sometimes naively so. And um, when I put it out there on LinkedIn and among my, my connections, which are well over 10,000, I was thinking, well, I guess at the time, probably about 4,000. I got so many responses. Oh my gosh, I would totally be there. That would be so awesome. I'm in. So I thought, well, I'll limit it to 50 this first year and see how it goes because I really want to make it intimate. And anything more than 50, you can't really get to know people. So um, I limited it to 50 and we had 23 in the room. And I was very pleased that we had 23. <laughs> and it was outstanding. It None of us, uh, I had met two of the 22 other people in there or 20, yeah, of the 23 people, I'd met two face-to-face -face before meeting them in Atlanta at um, the Ritz-Carlton in downtown Atlanta. And you would have thought when you walked in Wednesday evening to the hotel bar, the conference was Thursday and Friday. If you walked into that hotel bar in that evening, you would have thought it was an incredible reunion. Like that we <laughs> had all gone to school together. Or we were all cousins or, I mean, it was diverse enough that people would have questioned the familial relationships, um, <laughs> but it was amazing. All the hugs and the, Oh my gosh, it's so great to see you. Like he would have thought we had known each other in person for a decade. 
the way that people were responding meeting in that hotel lobby. Um, and the next two days were exactly the same. There was, it was extraordinary. It really was. The content was strong. I learned a ton, just like I knew I would. And at the end, um, we did kind of a debriefing to talk about if we would do it again and what that might look like. And everybody was like, what? you're thinking about not doing it again? <laughs> I was like, this was really <laughs> stressful. <laughs> that was a big financial obligation that I set up for myself. Um, but we, they, they couldn't imagine not doing it. So we did it for, um, we did it again in 2018 in Denver, and there were 28 in the room. And then we did it in Atlanta again last year in 2019, back in Atlanta at the Buckhead at, um, the Intercontinental Buckhead, which um, was not nearly as fun as Ritz-Carlton, by the way. Um, <laughs> but we had, let's see, we had 20, I think we had 30, I think we had 38 in the room. And again, just phenomenal content. Um, and, but, but the key, the kicker at the end of these conferences was how intensely connected all the people who had attended became. And I can tell you that it has, in terms of ROI, at least a handful of people that have written books, published books in the last few years, they've become bestsellers because of this network. The, um, a, a handful of us went from working for the man, whatever that looked like, to being self-employed, successfully self-employed. And um, it's just been this inspirational tribe that's been created and anyone who is, is a, a NLV alum will give you the same report. So this year <laughs> we did it in Chicago and we did do it on March 12th and 13th. <laughs> it, was, um, <laughs> it was an adventure to say the least. It was extremely stressful, um, but we did it and I had 38 registered and 20 in the room. I had 38 registered five days before the event and 20 in the room the first day of the event. Um, it was really stressful, but it ended up being one of those things that everyone in the room was so grateful for that moment of connection on the cusp of what we knew was going to be a, a really completely transformed world when we left. Um, but as for next year, I'm actually kind of making noises now about potentially doing it in Missoula, Montana. Um, yeah, possibly in June. It's normally in February or March, and I was looking at March dates, um, but I think that may still be too early. And who knows if even June will happen at this point. We could be two years out. And I've had a lot of people ask about doing some version of it online. And I have to tell you, Joey, I really have no interest in doing that. The whole point is to leverage online relationships to improve our offline relationships. I, I believe in social media. I believe in the depth and strength of online relationships. But there's a limit to how far you can go with those without eventually meeting face-to-face. -face. Yeah, I agree. And I think getting a break from Zoom would be wonderful. <laughs> I, I use Zoom to, you know, collectively be all the uh, online things like that. And I, 
yeah, taking something that was in person and moving it online is just not, it's not as good. But um, I, I love the, just the story and power of connection and the, the uh, people are being fooled by how well <laughs> it seems like you know each other just from, uh, you know, one night in person, but having that strong foundation there. And I think, again, I'm all about the segues here. I think that segues very nicely into uh, the question that I like to ask, which is what is something you wish you were asked more frequently? And I really liked your reply of tell me about your favorite small world story. So what you got? <laughs> I have so many small world stories. <laughs> so what, I love that question. So um, what I found is that there's in, in StrengthsFinder, there's a, one of the talents is called connectedness. And it's people who generally don't believe in coincidence. They, don't be, they believe things happen for a reason. And whether we can identify the reason is, you know, not even part of the, the question. But um, I find that people with connectedness in their top talents and their top 10 have a tendency to have the best small world stories. I think it's because we look for them. So one of my favorites, this is kind of interesting because it comes back to the questions that we ask people and the curiosity with which we approach people. Um, this was, oh, 12 years ago or so. My brother was turning 40 in Colorado and Denver. I was living in Montana. My sister was living in San Francisco. And we agreed to fly into Denver to celebrate my brother's big birthday. So we, um, we got into town and my brother, this was back before Twitter. I can't remember what the predecessor was, but he created this group where he was effectively tweeting wherever we were and other people would join us. So it ended up being this huge pub crawl across downtown Denver. So my sister and I had had too many shots of Tawaka, which is gross, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. It's like drinking Jaeger almost. Um, we'd had a few shots of Tawaka and we were at this one bar. We were getting ready to go to the next spot with 50 of my brother's closest buds. And my brother said, oh, I want to introduce you to this friend of mine. He said his name and his last name was Cass. And I said, Cats? And he said, no, Cass. And I said, oh that's really interesting. And I said, um, I knew someone in fifth grade with the last name of Cass. He was my first boyfriend. And he kind of chuckled. I was obviously, you know, a little buzzed and sharing more information than I should have. But I, I said, so um, are you from here? And he said, no, I grew up in LA. Now, my brother and I went to elementary school in LA. We went to, um, from, I was there from, second grade till beginning of sixth grade. And when I asked if he was from Denver, it was because I thought, wow, you're from LA, you have the same last name. So of course I put it out there and I said, oh, that's so interesting. My first boyfriend in fifth grade who asked me to kiss him and I turned him down, his name was Brian Cass. He said, that's my brother. <laughs> we all went to Canterbury Elementary School in LA. And it was, I, I freaked out. I was like, no, that's not true. You're totally making that up. And of course, I was very silly at that point. And I'm like, oh, no, that can't be true. And then he pulled up Brian's Facebook page. And it was him. And I, I just started laughing. And he said, see, you could have married a doctor. <laughs> and I said, in Albuquerque, ugh, no. <laughs> 
because he's Brian was a doctor in Albuquerque. But here's here's why I love that story. First of all, the fact that this just happens in some bar in Denver. But the second part that was so fascinating to me was that my brother and this guy, Jeff, had been working together at the Denver Newspaper Agency for a few years. They had known each other a few years, at least four, and they never knew they went to the same elementary school in LA. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but I think it's just because it's, it's what you talk about. It's how you choose to connect. And if you ask somebody with true curiosity about where they grew up or who they are, or tell me a story about growing up in LA, then you uncover those kinds of connections and it just, they just make great stories. Absolutely. I'd love to hear about your top three connection experiences. And I almost feel like we just got one right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, I'm not friends with Jeff or Brian anymore. Okay, okay. I mean, we, I, yeah, they're acquaintances. Top, top connection stories. Um, gosh, well, I would start with NLV. That whole, um, that first no longer virtual event. And the story is that when um, we were getting ready for the end of the first day and I hadn't made plans for that Thursday night dinner because I wanted to leave space for the introverts um, to go do what they wanted. But I mentioned as I was doing housekeeping announcements at the end of the evening, it's like six o'clock, we've been going all day. And I said, so Bob, my husband, Bob and I are gonna go down to this Chinese restaurant. It's about a block and a half away down the road that the hotel staff recommended. Will you raise your hand if you think you might wanna go with us? Cause if we have a larger group, I wanna call the, the restaurant and give them a heads up. And when I looked out said, can I see a, a show of hands? 22, 20, 22 of the hands went up. I was shocked. I thought for sure people needed their space at this point, but no one wanted the day to end. And to me, that was absolutely the pinnacle of success for that particular event. You know, if I was going to measure success, that would be how I would measure it. That almost all of us ended up going out to dinner together and continuing the evening because we were so connected. It was really pretty amazing. Um, let's see, what's another connection? One of my best friends on the planet, I met when we were in second grade. And um, I moved around a lot. I went to four different elementary schools and she went to five different elementary schools. We only went to the same elementary school for one semester. And that was in the first semester of second grade. And I was in her wedding in 1993 and she was in my wedding in 1997. And she even came out to Washington DC from LA. She lives in Tura came out to Washington DC when our first baby was born to come and meet him. And um, there is something, I love my newer friendships and relationships. I find incredible beauty in every single one of my relationships, whether I've known somebody five minutes or 40 something years. And there's something so interesting about having a friend that you've known that long and she's the only friend that I've known that long because I moved around so much. I didn't keep in touch with anyone else. And for my, um, for my podcast, Your Stories Don't Define You, it's the same as my uh, book's title. 
I actually interviewed her when I got to see her in person this past February when I was in California. And we, I interviewed her about long-term friendships and the meaning behind them and how, why they're different from shorter term, the ones that you, that are more recent. And um, that is a beautiful connection. And for my third one, now my sister and I are super close. I'm close with both my brother and my sister, and my sister is definitely my, my best friend on the planet. There's another woman though that I met about 12 years ago, and her name is Twyla, and we started singing together. And um, I call her my soul sister, because when our voices blend, it will give you chills up your spine. You, I, I rarely hear harmonies that create that resonance. And, um, and I think that's one of the strongest connections I have ever experienced. As someone that loves music, plays music, listens to music all the time, I like the perfect harmony with someone is so hard to obtain. And I think it's just like, like you were saying, like one of the most beautiful things to hear when there's two voices just like perfectly in sync like that. Mm -hmm. Ah, So wonderful. It's magic. It really is. And, and I've never had that experience with anyone else. And when we sing together, people weep. Oh, that's a nice power. Yeah. Get people crying. Yeah. yeah. Well, and laugh, of course, because we are very silly together. We are we are tequila drinkers together. And so we get very silly. We actually, one of my favorites was when we would have gigs together, we would end a gig with the song, You've Had Too Much. <laughs> <laughs> and it would start, hey, my friend, I think it's a sin the way you've been guzzling that gin because you've had too much. And it just goes downhill from there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's awesome. It's a wonderful song. John Hammond did it. It does sound like a fantastic way to to close a show. (laughs) Or close an evening, really, in general. Yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. It's so much fun. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for hopping on. This was fantastic. I feel like I learned like a month's worth of stuff in, (laughs) what, 45 minutes? So very efficient all around for all of us. And if other people want to get connected with you online for now, but perhaps in person down the road, where can they find you? Well, um, the simplest thing is to go to my website, which is Elkins, E-L-K-I-N-S, ElkinsConsulting.com. Then my book is available. Um, Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. It can be bought on Amazon, but if you are not a big fan Um, I'm really encouraging people to go to bookshop.org, which is um, a new service that supports independent booksellers. Um, And I will have an audio book coming out sometime this fall. Lovely. Are you doing the audio for it? I am. My publisher was trying to, (laughs) I know my publisher was trying to dissuade me from it, but I have studio time under my belt. I've done musical recordings. And let me tell you, that's never easy either. So um, yeah, I decided it seemed very silly for me to hire vocal talent when I sing and perform and am a professional keynote speaker and storyteller and podcaster. It seemed kind of silly not to read my own books. (laughs) (laughs) Well, looking forward to all of that as well. Thank you again. And of course, we have to end with a corny joke, just like you end with a brilliant show-stopping number. I always like to end these episodes with a 
corny joke, and let's make it a relationship-based one. My girlfriend left me for being too old-fashioned. It's a shame. I thought we had great alchemy. Get after it today, people. <laughs> That's dad humor. <laughs> <laughs>